Hello and welcome to the Fundamental Value Podcast, hosted by Joshua Frank, co-founder and CEO of The Tie. On Fundamental Value, we speak with leading analysts, traditional finance and digital asset firms, and investigate how leading minds in the cryptocurrency space, research, analyze, and quantify the value of digital assets. Quick disclaimer, this podcast was recorded and is being made available solely for informational purposes. Hello and welcome to Fundamental Value, a journey to quantify crypto. I'm your host, Joshua Frank, co-founder and CEO of The Tie. So I'm very excited to be joined in person with lots of technical difficulties, which we'll get into in a second, uh, by Rabia Iqbal, who's managing partner at Neural Capital. This is a very special episode for us because we are recording in person on a MacBook with no technology, yeah. which is kind of an accident. But... Ravi is a fantastic guest who's got so much intel uh, and insight on the market, and I promise it's worth the less high-tech and more bear market-ish experience of, of today. So, Ravi, it's great to have you on. Well, thank you so much, Josh, and so good to see you in person. Um, thanks for inviting me to your offices. It's definitely that kind of time. It's a it's a it's a dark time in crypto, and uh, you know we're adapting to the ever changing. Yeah, we had to market. we had to return the uh, equipment. The Black Friday deals weren't good enough. Here, we're down eighty percent, and the sixty right. percent off didn't. Uh, well, the best the best um, the best thing I saw on Twitter for Black Friday was actually. Uh, oh, what are the good deals right now? And somebody posted tech stocks and crypto. Yeah, yeah. it's it's just it's 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 that kind of time. So. So why don't we why don't we get right into it? So can you walk us through your background pre crypto? Yeah, totally. So uh, you know, before starting Neural um, and before getting into crypto, I actually started my career at Morgan Stanley. Uh, I was on the equity derivatives desk there and did a little time at, in the wealth management division at Morgan Stanley as well. Um, then moved to the buy side, was at Co2 and um, worked at Mubadala Capital, which is the Abu Dhabi Sovereign Wealth Fund. Um, kind of during that time, 2017, I personally got involved into crypto, started investing personal capital. And then around, um, around the time I was at Mubadala, it just got, you know, into it a lot more uh, personally spending just all my free time um, meeting people in the space, uh, diligencing funds, me meeting managers in the space. And I got to thinking, this is something that I need to do full time because it's just taking a lot of my time and energy. And it's just so interesting. Everything else seems uninteresting. And so um, ended up launching Neural actually about a year ago, a little over a year ago. And it was it was great because we had um, we had the backing of Kinetic Capital, which is one of the earliest blockchain venture funds in Asia, and uh, and they were very supportive of what Neural uh, wanted to do, and and yeah, I mean it's it's been a it's been a great experience been a long year but um but yeah that's that's kind of how we got started yeah so why don't why don't we talk about so so why start neural capital why does crypto need another fund neural is a little bit different because and i think you'll get into this so i won't i won't lead the question but yeah what is neural actually do in the space what type of fund is it what do you invest in 
So NARL is a diversified access point into uh, investing into the blockchain space. And I mean, let's unpack that a little bit. So we are a hybrid fund where part of our investing is done through a fund of funds and part of it is in direct investments and that's all packaged in one vehicle. Personally, when I was investing in crypto, I thought the best way to get exposure was doing a couple direct deals myself and then aligning myself with really skilled managers who had subsector specialties within the space because the technology is moving way too fast. You just can't, you can't as a single person understand everything that's happening, especially if you have a day job. Uh, you have to align yourself with a with, with people who know what they're doing, people who are living and breathing this. And especially when the markets are so volatile, you need that extra special um, expertise and, and, and that, um, that connectivity. And so Neural combines the fund of fund investing with the direct investing, and uh, that creates a very diversified product. So when we, when we think about our portfolio construction and what we want to deliver to our LPs, Number one is diversification, because when you're in an asset class that's so nascent, you want to uh, take advantage of the power law and you want to be as diversified as possible, touch, touch as many portfolio companies as possible. And one fund manager you know, can deliver that for you, but our portfolio has 10 fund managers. And you know you multiply that ten fund managers by those amount of portfolio companies that you have, and you really are touching the entire space. The second thing that Neural likes to do is we we like to be an access vehicle. So a lot of um, for a lot of my non crypto friends and former colleagues used to say, Rabia, how do you access the space? Like who like who do you like how do you know who to put money with or like how how do you even get access to these opportunities like i read about this stuff online or like i hear about it but i just i don't know how to do it and neural is really supposed to be one of those vehicles that people can come into and access the space right it's really hard to get access as like a accredited investor to private opportunities, but Neural kind of solves that. And then our third value proposition is education. We are very committed to educating our LPs. We're very committed to educating the community on uh, investing in private markets, investing in funds, and investing in blockchain and crypto in a risk-managed, diversified way. And so that's why Neural was formed. We wanted to deliver those three core concepts, diversification, access, and education to LPs. And we wanted to kind of take the stigma away from investing in crypto, investing in something you don't understand. So you mentioned risk management a bunch of times. So as you look in your diligence funds, obviously, this is a point that's becoming even more relevant these days with everything that happened with FTX and yeah. with with. Genesis and with a bunch of different counterparties within the crypto space. How do you go and assess a fund manager's risk management? So we apply a rigorous investment due diligence process as well as an operational due diligence process. And this is like very key when um, you're investing into a fund. And I, I think sometimes this is lost on people and especially, you know, over the last couple of years, when there was such a, a hype to get into funds, people didn't really think about the ODD. When we go in 
and we ask questions about compliance. We ask questions about custody. We ask questions about service providers. Um, you know, one of the things that uh, there's there's so many things that have come up during this this process that you just wouldn't even expect. Yeah, can, we, can you talk about some of those? Yeah. So we had a we had one fund that we you know we loved their thesis. We loved their um, investment process, how they thought. Their track record was fantastic. But on the operational due diligence side, we go through and we talk to service providers. I mean, it takes a long time for a fund to get through through our um, our uh, diligence process. So we asked them for their service provider list. We asked them if we could, you know, speak to some of their service providers and they refused to uh, introduce us to one of their service providers. And that was an automatic red flag. If we can't talk to the counterparties that you're doing business with. Um, and service provider, you mean primarily like their custodians and custodians, their exchanges? Um, exchanges, in this case, um, it was the exchange that they yep. wouldn't introduce us to. And it was just a non-starter for us. If we can't get to know who is who you're doing business with, we can't get into business with you. If you take a step back, right, the LPGP relationship on a venture fund, and we primarily at Neural invest in venture funds, those are typically 10-year relationships. 10 years is a long time to be in a relationship with someone, right? And, you know, you think about how many people in your life you're in a 10-year relationship with and you have quarterly communication with. That's not probably not that many people. And this is what you sign up for when you read, when, when, when you sign up for a fund. So you want to be able to, you know, properly go through the dating process as well with those fund managers. And you want to be able to ask questions and like understand who they're friends with or who their counterparties are and everything. That's kind of lost on people sometimes, or it's, not their core competency. And so sometimes people just rush through it. That's what we at Neural, you know, strive to solve for, um, making sure that those 10 year plus relationships are actually sound. And so fund of funds have generally, you know, become less prevalent in more traditional uh, markets. Why, why do you think that is? And, and why do you think there's such a big opportunity within crypto? Yeah. So, I mean, this is one point we've talked about before um, with the access, right? So, you know, typically now for to, to access a hedge fund or a, a venture fund, you can, you can do that through some IRA platforms, um, some newer uh LPGP platforms that are that, that are popping up. Some private banks actually offer access to you know venture funds and hedge funds, and some of them are top tier products as well. But in the crypto space, it's still really hard to access top tier funds, and to define top tier funds is hard as well because the asset class is so new. And so, while hedge funds were like a really big thing or hedge fund fund of funds were really big in the nineties because that was a nascent um, industry. Then it's almost the same now where crypto funds are na a nascent industry 
And the fund of funds products exist to deliver the access to P to the LPs who want to invest. Um, and, you know, it is, it is it, a lot of people like the fund of fund product because they can get diversification because there is more transparency. Uh, if you go through a fund of funds and, you know, intuitively you think, oh, there's less transparency. There's less um, direct contact with the manager. We get that feedback a lot where, you know, I'd rather go direct because I want to be able to talk to the manager direct. Well, you have less leverage if you're just one LP talking to that manager versus if you come through a fund of funds whose day in, day out job is to talk to that manager and ask questions and evaluate that manager against other managers. And so, you know, people who 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 opt in for the fund of funds realize that they get better um, service if they if they go through that model as well. So. You know, we mentioned earlier, um, or you mentioned earlier rather, that you're primarily investing in venture funds. Why is that? Um, why specifically venture funds? Have you invested in hedge funds, more quantitative strategies? And has that shifted at all, um, you know, kind of over the last year for you? Yeah, so we have a broad mandate, which allows us to invest in hedge funds and liquid funds. Um, and we've looked at a number of them. We have taken the view here at Neural that we are we are investing in this space for the long term. And while there are opportunities to make money and to 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 find value in liquid markets, it's just a little hard with all the volatility and all the noise to be able to um, evaluate those managers correctly. And then there's also a little bit of track record replication. And so, you know, you, you, you'll hear about some fund managers having monster years one year and then, you know, huge drawdowns the next year. And this becomes very, very difficult when you're trying to manage a whole portfolio as a fund of funds. And so we've taken the view that we are going to do, we, we, we are long-term investors in this asset class. And the best way to get exposure to that and to manage, manage the volatility is to invest in venture funds. That doesn't mean that we might not, um, we might not find a, a hedge fund or liquid fund that is kind of an all-star that we really believe in their thesis and how it fits with our entire portfolio. That could still be the case, but for now, we've just found that the volatility is way too high, um, and and managing that for the long term is is a little difficult. So, from a venture perspective, uh, and from evaluating a venture fund manager, right? I mean, most of these folks don't have a track record in crypto. I mean, crypto venture investing is, you know, obviously there were some deals that happened in 2013, 14, 15, but for the most part, you know unless you got into Coinbase or Kraken or a few yeah. of these exchanges early, there really isn't much that has kind of transpired. And, you know, I think even 12 months ago, you would have looked at somebody who invested in, you know, BlockFi and said they had a great track record or somebody who invested early in FTX and said they had a great track record. And so how do you evaluate track records? And do you like, do you have a, a predisposition towards investing in like traditional venture funds that are now rolling out in crypto investment vehicle or a traditional venture fund manager who you can be like, hey, look, this person was at Union Square Ventures or X or Y or Z place for 
20 years and has an incredible track record. So we think they can evaluate crypto. So I know there's a lot to unpack there, but. Yeah. So, you know, when we're looking at managers, the, so we, you know, in our, in our deck, we have that classic funnel slide, right? I mean, we, we look at the universe of managers and then we look at their process, their investment process. They look, we look at their track record and you're right. Track record has many different, de- different definitions in crypto, but we have this this other screen, which is called our crypto native screen in um, in that funnel process. And basically what that does is that that um, that's where we do a lot of reference checks and we do founder calls as well. And so on the crypto native check and, and you, I mean, you're right, you're right. Like it's, it's still such an asset asset class, but you know, we are uh, we're backed by Kinetic Capital. They've been investing in the space since 2013. They've done over 250 portfolio company investments. Chances are, if there's a manager out there who's claiming that they have you know a five plus year track record in crypto, they've invested alongside that manager, and so we rely heavily on them to to tell us how the experience was investing alongside that manager, uh, whether they've done deals with that manager, how that went, and then we take it a step further. We'll we'll ask founders for feedback on fund managers. So let's say you know maybe six months after around closes, we'll go to some founders and we'll say, you know, on your cap table, we see these, you know, 10 funds, who do you still talk to? And, you know, chances are, they'll be like, oh, well, we only really talk to three of these funds. And we'll say, okay, who's, you know, who's most useful to you? Who's, who's kind of disappointed you in that way. And so we actually have this proprietary tracking system from the founder perspective. And we'll go and we'll say, We'll rank the fu- the venture funds based on the founder's perspective. And what we say at Neural is, yes, like backward looking track records are important, but you're only as good as your next best deal in crypto and getting in early is um, hugely important. And so if you're ranked well by founders, that is an indication that your next deal, that you have a good chance of getting into the next best deal. And that's why we keep that ranking system. And that's how we look at track records as well. We look at forward looking track records as well as backward looking track records. And so one of the things you mentioned earlier was getting allocation to fund managers operating in different sectors. And so how do you think about that within the investor landscape. So obviously, as I think about tokens, I think about DeFi and privacy coins and metaverse and things like that. Do you think of that in terms of investing in like token venture funds that hit on those different sectors? Are you looking at investing in different stages of equity venture funds? Like how do you actually think about building a diversified uh, set of fund managers? Yeah, so it's both. On the subsector side, we do um, we do look for managers who have uh, exposure to NFT gaming metaverse. That's kind of like one category. DeFi is another category, and then Web three and infrastructure is, is kind of the third category. We broadly try to to bucket some of the managers, and then we have some generalist categories as well because. This space is ever evolving and we need to be able to 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 just adapt to anything new that pops up as well. And so 
um, broadly like to bucket people in that way, but then also across stages, it's really important when we're building our portfolio to have mostly early stage, then some mid stage, and then some growth stage. This is kind of one of the things that we've we've done differently than a, a few other fund of funds. We think growth is important as well, and so we have one growth fund in our portfolio. It's it's important to have companies with revenue show up in our portfolio, companies that people can actually recognize that um, could come could, could have an exit sooner, that we could recycle capital or return capital to investors. And that's that's kind of our rationale behind the growth, the growth side of the portfolio. And then early stage exposure is important too, because that's where we're going to drive a lot of the alpha for the portfolio. And then these are like the newer, interesting technologies that we can really watch transform all the way through the life cycle of the fund. So, uh, so, so yeah, I mean, we structure things a little differently on the growth side and then also on the sector specialty. And what about on the token versus equity investment side? How do you think about that? Yeah. So, we at Neural are not token experts by any mean. Um, so we rely heavily on our fund managers to um, to do the token investments. It's it's just you know there's it's not our core competency to um, to. Underwrite. Do you invest in any fund managers that only do token deals, or like would, and would you evaluate them the same way that you evaluate any other fund manager? So we we don't invest in only token managers. We have a skew towards equity. Our understanding of tokens is they have value, but sometimes there are tokens just exist to exist and they don't always solve a problem. And so, or they don't, there's, there's not, there's not always a purpose. And so we have historic. I think you're putting that lightly. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. I mean, I don't, you know, I'm not going to call out any specific projects or anything, but there are there are just there's a lot of noise out there, and because we can't underwrite it, we don't feel comfortable with it. I'm not going to say that we're a no token fund. We obviously have token exposure. I think that's really important if you are trying to get blockchain exposure to have that. But that's not going to be an emphasis uh, of our portfolio at Neural because. We're a 10-year fund. We need to make sure that that token is going to provide value over the next 10 years or be able to provide value to our LPs in the short term and and, and provide distributions to our LPs. So it's not not always the most favorable thing when when you don't want as much token exposure, but we we try to stay away from it. So obviously the market has changed quite a bit in the last few weeks or months. Um, you know, with the FTX collapse and the ensuing chaos that is yeah. kind of, you know, uh, made its way throughout the entire industry. And so, you know, with that, how difficult is it for fund managers to actually raise capital right now? Where are you seeing the most interest among, you know, your peers, I'm going to define broadly as any LP in a fund, right? So we'll go broader. It could be an allocator. It could be a, a high net worth. It could be a family office. Where do you see the interest among kind of allocators broadly in, in putting capital? Is it on like the, the venture side right now? Is it on the market neutral quantitative side? Because what, what I was seeing kind of leading up to this collapse after three arrows was this 
kind of this push towards these market neutral quantitative funds, Mm -hmm. but a huge number of them had 50% of their capital on FTX, right? And so I'm curious as to as to if you're seeing any demand (laughs) among investors, how the macro picture has infected it, how the more recent, you know, uh, collapse of FTX has affected it, and where specifically that interest lies. Yeah, so that that it's been an interesting change, right? Um, what we're seeing now is, and I I do remember that many people were asking for market neutral strategies. People wanted exposure, and they wanted it packaged like that. What people are asking for now are just deals, like everyone who is is sitting on the sideline and has capital and wants to deploy it to the space. So that's like, like deals, you mean like a good deal, like a, like a, I mean like secondaries. Yeah, yeah. So yes, so, yes, yeah. Yes, so, yes. so 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 that is that is the number one question that we um, and can you guys deploy to secondaries? We can, and we actually are in the process of putting together a secondaries fund. And so is it specifically focused on distressed or is it just any, you know, any you think relatively undervalued secondary? So we are starting with a uh, secondary LP positions. Uh, so, you know, LP positions into blue chip funds um, and, and just secondaries around that. And then we have been seeing people asking for, you know, specific um, distressed assets as well. But uh, but that's a little what we haven't seen as many transactions happening there. So like people still aren't sure where to pull the trigger, whereas they're a little bit more comfortable with um, with with buying an LP position. Because- so, so how do you evaluate a secondary LP position? Right. Like, let's say I'm an LP in X fund and I want to sell, you know, my entire stake. How do you actually value that? Like, how do you mark to market a book? Like, do you have insight into what's actually the holdings and positions within that? How do you actually go about like that? Because when you're investing in an earlier stage VC and you're giving a cap capital at the earliest stage with like a 220 model, like the fund was just set up, yeah, right? You don't really have a book to value, but how do you actually go? And I'm like, all right, this, this venture fund is four years old. It's a 10 yeah. year fund. It's fully deployed, right? How do you actually think about valuing the assets in that book? It's really very difficult for people who don't do this every day. So um, we spend a lot of time doing that. So, uh, And I presume you're seeing the same deals in a number of different books anyways. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there's, de- there's definitely overlap. So um, and what we have is we get NAVs from our fund managers and, you know, every, every manager is supposed to report um, on a, on a quarterly basis. And, you know, some, most of their investments are on there. Some are in stealth, so you don't get to see everything. Um, we've heard kind of from other peers of ours that you just take a 30% in this market, you just take a 30% haircut off the top of that nav because managers aren't necessarily baking in, you know, what, what, what the, what the prices are. Um, they haven't devalued their investments yet. I mean, I think it will be very interesting. The 12. And so then you want to get a, a discount to that 30%. Exactly. Discount. Yeah. 
Yeah. And so that's where the negotiating starts. Um, so so if you're so if you're investing in, let's say, a 10 year fund and it's eight years in. Yeah. Right. You guys as neural, are you are you a close ended fund yourself? Yeah. And so and so are you able to redeploy that capital? So let's say you invest in a in a you, you invest in secondary LP positions in a venture fund where there's a year or two years left on that. So you're going to get liquidity much sooner. Right. Can you reinvest that capital? We can okay. um, because we have a recycling provision okay. in our fund, but you know we can also distribute it to investors, right? right? right. Um, so you know there's um, that comes to the that comes to that kind of comes back to your point about evaluating managers and track record, right? And one of the things that we do a lot is okay, we look at we look at fund managers, we look at their track records. But what's most important to us is DPI and the value that they've brought to their investors. There's plenty of funds that in 2021, when they were raising, they showed a MOIC of like 10x, right? And, you know, they raised large sums of money off of that, you know, and then now that that 10 X is now sitting like a two X or whatever. Right. And that's not value to investors. So I, I, I take your question about recycling one level further because I I want to like, I want to kind of just stress the point of it's not always about reinvesting capital. Sometimes it's the prudent thing is like find a great deal and then, deliver value to investors as fast as possible. And that's also kind of going to be key to the space and how people reinvest capital into the space, right? I mean, if you're a family office and you are, you know, you got yourself access to a fund and, um, and you, you know, you just keep seeing the number go up on, on your quarterly statement, that's all great. But when are you going to redeploy capital into the space? you're going to redeploy capital back into the space when you get returns. So that's that's only going to help people kind of continue to invest in the space, I think. So uh, so yeah, that's like a pretty important part of what we do too, looking at the DPI of how funds return and, and thinking about that in our portfolio as well. So uh, you, you mentioned earlier, you know, you don't really do hedge fund investments. So you have the ability to, you haven't really... I'm curious how many venture funds do you think had exposure to FTX? Because I think it's probably more indirect than hedge funds because hedge funds probably had capital deployed onto the exchange. Obviously, a venture fund could have a position in FTX stock um, or any of those other entities that were kind of impacted. But I'm curious as to what percentage of venture funds you think had like some significant exposure, which maybe we define as more than 5 or 10% of their book had some exposure to FTX. Yeah. And from what we've been seeing, exactly what you said, it's been minimal. Right. And that first... But I presume on the hedge fund side, it's a lot more aggressive. On the hedge fund side, you're seeing it a lot more and you're seeing people who... You're seeing the the concentration to be a lot more too. Like um, there were some people who had highly concentrated positions in FTT or highly concentrated number of assets on the exchange. And so you're just hearing that. Those or heavy investment in Solana, which exactly, which is. So, so for perspective on this, by the way, so um, this is a number from one of the largest custodians in the space that has about 1500 clients. I won't disclose who it is. 
because they can see the assets, they think 50 to 60 funds are a hundred percent need to go out of business because on the, of that. on the hedge fund side, on the hedge fund side. So yeah. that's about three or 4% um, yeah. is what is what, which a hundred percent, like they're, they're so far below their high watermark. There's just no chance. Yeah. Um, but it was a surprisingly low number to me, but I think there's, they believe there's more and that's, kind of in line with what we're seeing talking directly to funds where we think there's three or 4% of funds were like really hit. And then there are other funds that were hit significantly, but I'm not really hit them defining as like 50% or more. hit. Yeah. So that's interesting, right? Because during this whole, during the whole FTX fallout, we've been trying to quantify contagion and impact. And it's, it's been, you know, it's been a road to do that. It's been a lot of, it's just been a lot of work because the first layer impact is, it's 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 very easy to see, right? It's defined by people who have FTX equity exposure, FTT token exposure, and then assets on FTX. Or Alameda. Yes, exactly. And so that's how we define the first layer of impact. But what's the second layer of impact for venture funds? It could be, you know, uh, it, it could be their portfolio companies having raised money from FTX and ha- having gotten a portion of the um, the capital in cash, but then a portion in FTT tokens. Or their it's, treasury on FTT. Or, on FTX, or their treasury right. there. And to do that analysis, you have to dig really deep. Well, I think it goes even further than that. I mean, you could start to talk about mining. Exactly. You know, which is a massive issue, right? And I'm sure you have some portfolio, some some venture funds, I'm sure had some exposure to mining. You know, basically every mining company is out of business, right? I mean, yeah. mining mining firms, miners weren't making money at 25 grand Bitcoin. They're certainly not making money at 17K Bitcoin. And they were, you know, and they were borrowing a tremendous amount of money, which has impact back on lenders, right? And yeah. you could have some of your portfolio companies lending to those lenders, right? I mean, there's, there's, it's. I think it's impossible to quantify the impact because we're, we still haven't even seen it. Like we just saw with Maple yesterday, with you know Orthogonal being eighty percent of the Maven Eleven pool uh, and defaulting on that loan. Who was lending to the Maven to that Maven Eleven pool? Well, it turns out Nexus Mutual yeah. had a ton of a ton of loans, and I, I'm sure there were a lot of early stage venture investors in Nexus Mutual who had a right. big markup on that position. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it'll take it'll take months to figure out what the contagion is, if not years. Um, And, you know, you bring up a good point on the mining. It's like, it's not even directly um, related to to FTX, but that is, that's like a huge impact that we're seeing. And that's actually an area where we're seeing managers hunting for distress opportunities as well. You got to be really careful (laughs) on the mining side. I mean, the biggest problem, I mean, mining equipment is now, Trading about a ninety percent discount from the, yeah. from, the, from from the top, uh, and I think it's going to be even larger once all the Celsius assets, as part of the bankruptcy, mm-hmm. hit the market. So they have two hundred thousand pieces of mining equipment hitting the market. Yeah. Um, and the question is who who who's survives? making money? Right? Yeah. Who's making money? I think it's it's very difficult, and you know, there's you know, the contagion then goes out to all the other lenders, right? That we're lending to miners. There's a number of them. I'm not going to call them out, but you know, for anyone listening that wants to look. Just go type in SEC filings for miners. You can look at the 8Ks and 10Qs and you can see who's lending to these miners. Uh, And you'll start to see like insurance companies lending to miners, like not even crypto natives, like there were insurance companies lending to miners. So there's going to be a lot of kind of 
net impact. I think we got a little distracted from, yeah. from the main point, though, which was really kind of finding opportunity uh, and, 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 and I guess, understanding the, the impact on, on, you know, venture investors. So one of the things that you mentioned, though, earlier is the fact that you're looking at secondary LP positions right now. But I wonder, given the blob of FTX, you guys also do direct investing. We haven't really talked about yeah. this on this the podcast so far. But how do you think about opportunities for direct investments versus uh, secondary investments in funds or direct investments in funds at this point? Yeah, so the direct part of our portfolio is a smaller part of our portfolio. Our core competency is, you know, diligence, diligencing funds, understanding, um, understanding how managers compare against each other and what their edge is and kind of building a portfolio around that. The direct part of our portfolio has always been doubling down on companies that we think are strong from our managers' portfolios or that we found um, that kind of solve for something else. And it it hasn't been a core focus. And, And going forward, our thesis has only strengthened on investing in managers and kind of grabbing that diversification and that manager expertise. Again, like it is, like you said, you've got to be really careful right now on distressed opportunities. There was a time where, like you said, BlockFi was a great company. And today we're seeing that. It's well, it always lost money. I think <laughs> I think the perspective of people in venture investing and what is a great company sometimes yeah. Is, uh, is, a, is a discussion to be had. Yeah, yeah. But certainly it was a very fast growing business. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, it, but, but at the time, you know, it was one of those things that, to your point, like it was like on people's track records yeah. and it was like, it was like, oh, wow, you got into that. Like that, that's fantastic. And now it's sitting, you know, it's, it's, it's bankrupt. And, um, and y- you really do have to be careful because, the space is moving so fast and the fallout, like it's still yet to be determined. So if you are going in there and picking up distressed assets, single assets, you have to really do your work on those assets. And it is not easy to do that work, right? Um, you know, if you're, if you're. Well, especially when, you know, you have investing in distress, you might have limited information as well. Limited yeah. information. You have to move quickly. Um, you know, you know, people who are doing this or have been um, looking at that company for a while might have more information than you. Like you, you might not be operating from a position of strength. And so, you know, from our perspective, we were doubling down on what we do really well, which is um, fine fund managers who kind of produce outsized returns compared to their peers. Um, we create great relationships with them. And if we see opportunities kind of come through them that we feel really good about that we can ask really thorough questions on, we would do like a direct investment. But but at this time, we're, we're really focused on fund managers and not just stress direct opportunities. And so obviously on the venture fund side, you know, you can't really have net withdrawals because these are closed-ended funds. I'm curious what you're seeing on the more hedge fund side, the open-ended side. You know, do you think there is a massive push to withdraw funds from these exchanges? I, I guess as a proxy, you would probably be able to see who's actually selling their LP positions at venture funds is probably a, a sem- somewhat decent proxy. But I would assume that the hedge fund side is even larger just because it's it's very easy to 
withdraw from a hedge fund, it's less easy to sell secondary, you know, LP positions in, in a venture fund. Yeah. So on the hedge fund side, it's it's a little tricky though, because some of these funds, you know, massive drawdowns, right? And if you've if you've lost like, you know, 80 to 90% on a fund, you kind of you might not want to take the money out. You kind of want to just see it go back to, to something. Um, and it's, so- it's actually really funny. It's just like human psychology thing. It's right. Like if I was like, would you rather have a hundred dollars? Like imagine you bought an app, you bought an asset at a thousand dollars. It's now sitting at a hundred dollars or would you rather have a hundred dollars? Right. Like if you thought about the position and it's on its own, you might be like, I'm just going to ride this out. Yeah. But if I was like, Hey, if you had a hundred dollars, you can put in anything, would you put it in that thing? The answer is probably no. Right. Which right. is, which is kind of this interesting. And look, I suffer from, it, and I think a lot of others yeah. do, right. Which is just naturally you're like down so much on a single position. You're like, fuck it. I'm just going to wait. I'm just yeah. going to ride this thing out. Yeah. When in reality, if you were given that same amount of capital, you'd probably deploy it elsewhere. Right. And that's why, you know, selling is so hard. Right. And it's, it's, it's really hard to time things. And, we don't act like on the hedge fund side, you know, naturally you'd think a lot of people would be redeeming, but I'm not seeing that as much human psychology. People want to see if they can, you know, wait it out, go to the, go to the, they, they've already lost all this money. And you might be seeing it more in the not deploying than on the redeeming side as well. Yeah. Yeah. But we're, we're funds or we're, we're, we're allocators already not deploying very much post April of this year. And it slowed down even Further, or was there still some active allocation going on? So post April, there was there was a crypto curiosity. So I wouldn't say that people were, you know, jumping up and down to allocate, but they were still crypto curious. They were hunting around for deals. Um, they were looking. They were, you know, trying to understand what where they could get it, where they could get opportunity, but. Now it feels like there's pure exhaustion and, um, you know, people don't know who to trust. And that's like, a, that's a different situation. And that's because of the fraud from FTX. And so, you know, there's going to have to be a little bit of a rebuilding period with allocators, especially institutional allocators to get them comfortable around, around risk metrics and just, you know, financials and, um, and, th- and a lot of people are just waiting to see what happens, the, the fallout from, you know, like d- Genesis and like, like how that all goes d- down. And so, you know, people are okay waiting. I wouldn't say that there was, there was that many dollars going into the space after April, but there was, there was capital. Um, but that being said, there are people who are, who are, um, this is the one trend that I've heard a lot from managers I've spoken to, people are deploying this month. A lot of people who haven't been deploying are deploying. So so how much from from the fund managers you've spoken to, how much dry powder do you think they have as a percentage of their most recent funds left on average? Obviously, it, it differs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, it is case by case, yeah. right? Some, But do you think they're funds with 70, 80% dry powder? There are a handful. Okay. Yeah, a handful. Right. But there are also funds that are close to tapped out, right? right. Um, p- 
People are getting ready to go back to market in 2023. I'm hearing that a lot. And I'm hearing like maybe Q1, maybe Q2. I think LP sentiment, allocator sentiment will will drive a lot of when people go back out. But you're hearing rumblings of it uh, for, for sure. There are a few people who do have dry powder. So deals are still happening. Deals are still getting done, but not to the pace well, it got egregious. Yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> and so, you know, you previously worked at Mubadala, um, which for anyone who doesn't know is, you know, one of the sovereign wealth funds of Abu Dhabi. What I'm hearing a lot from a fund manager perspective is this really big push to actually go try to raise capital in the Middle East. Um, I'm curious as to, I think you you, you know that market better than, than than almost all. Do you think that there is an appetite among Middle Eastern investors that tends to be stronger than other geographic regions at this point to get exposure to crypto? Because obviously, you know, most of the world's economy has gotten very impacted by raising interest rates and more of a macro picture. And I think there's a tightening broadly in allocators across the globe, across Mm -hmm. asset classes, ability to allocate. I was just in California last week and paid six bucks to refill my tank. So, you know, oil producing countries are still uh, very well capitalized and still underdeployed. So I'm curious if you think that's an interesting opportunity for for uh, crypto and for fund managers specifically. Yeah. You know, one thing I think is is really important to um, to note is that Middle Eastern investors are very, very sophisticated. And, um, you know, I worked in the New York office for Mubadala. And that's one of many international offices. So, you know, just to put that in perspective, these allocators have now had offices in other places. They've been, you know, they, they've been in the they've been in the deal flow. They've been um, they they've literally been building companies and and investing in companies for many many years now abroad. And um, crypto is 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 no different, right? Um, They've been getting access to crypto investments for a very long time. They've been doing their through fund investments primarily, right? Through fund investments, but also some directs. Right. You, I mean, and tokens as well, or mostly equity deals. Um, there's been some tokens. Yeah. Um, but you know, mostly equity deals. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they have access, and um, and I would say the most important thing if you're a fund manager. Is to understand that um, you're, you're you're dealing with a sophisticated investor at the at the at the other side of the table, right? And so you want to make sure that the deals that you are bringing them or showing them are the best deals that you have, because you know they're getting access to a lot right now. I'd also say that um, there is a lot of trust that needs to be built too. So a lot of uh, a lot of people will you know, reach out to me and say like I'm going, you know, I'm headed to the Middle East, um, and uh, you know I'm, I'm talking to you know X Y Z people there, and um, you know I'm I'm hoping to come back and you know have raised my fund or like ha- be on the way to raise my fund, and I, and I always say like you know it it takes a lot of time and trust to build those relationships. Again, like an LPGP relationship is mm-hmm. mostly a, like it, it's a yeah. 10 year relationship and 
you know, people don't take that lightly, especially if they're, if they don't see you every day or if they like physically aren't around mm-hmm. you or in the same country as you. And so, you know, spend the time to get to know people and get to know their portfolio and their needs too. And then you'll, 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 you'll have a better chance of being successful. And so you're on the fundamental value podcast. So naturally we have to talk about fundamentals. And so, you know, one question that we ask all of our guests is about fundamentals and this is more on a token basis. So how do you actually think about fundamentals uh, for digital assets, especially its tokens? And I think your perspective is appreciated here, given that you're mostly doing equity investing and the space are focused on venture funds that, that you know, participate in equity deals. How do you think about the actual, you know, you mentioned earlier that a lot of these tokens don't accrue value or don't make sense. They don't need to have a token. And so when does a token need to have a token? How does it accrue value? Are there any fundamentals or is it mostly just nonsense? No, I mean, you know, there, there are obvious um, examples of, of when tokens are uh, important. And one of the things that, you know, we believe that fundamental analysis and price are important. Like those, those things matter. Um, we just happen to be in a very nascent asset class, right? And no one can predict exactly. And if people tell you they can predict, or you know, like last year we had a bunch of people kind of saying, "Oh, you know, Bitcoin to 100k or whatever." Like, no one can predict what's going to happen. But your analysis can drive price ranges and can kind of create. Uh, create kind of a range for you to, to, to base your investments off of. But what's important is that you, instead of being like, okay, this is definitely going, like these investments are definitely going to go to this price or this price. Um, we know what to investment, invest in because this asset class is so new. There's a, um, there's a, there's a lot of emphasis on what not to do. Uh, and a lot of learnings on what you should um, avoid. And so, you know, clearly you should avoid concentrated positions like what we saw with FTT tokens. I mean, you should, you know, that 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 should never have happened. Um, FTX should not have held that, ma- that many FTT tokens um, as collateral on their balance sheet. Other things that we should see um, that... Uh, other things that we should avoid, we should avoid stable coins like Terra and Luna that um, that aren't structured properly. Like those are things that we should stay away from. We should avoid poor risk management. So like now we know things that we should avoid, but there's no because we again, this is such an there's this is such a new um, space. There's no kind of one one way fundamental research that can tell us like you know where the secret door is and like to, to, to value we're still all figuring that out and we're, we're still all trying to to um to find value in that way we invested in a company called snickerdoodle and basically what snickerdoodle does is it capsulates um your web browser cookies into an nft and as you're browsing 
the web, you get access to, or you get dropped doodle tokens. And so you, the user are accruing value for what you are doing kind of in a web three world. You're the content creator and you're getting, you know, compensated for that. We find something like a doodle token to have value because you can eventually kind of everyone who's in that system can is is accruing those tokens and can transact in that way um, with other people who have doodle tokens. For other tokens like governance tokens, they don't have as much inherent value other than like maybe being a governance token, but um, it the value accrues to like equity holders of, 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 of those companies. And so it's kind of harder for us to diligence that and, and, and kind of apply actual value to those tokens. So that, that's kind of how we think about it. But, um, but again, I mean, you know, Josh, it's hard on tokens. It is just, I, I mean, we, we know to avoid things like Dogecoin that have no inherent value, but like there, it, there's like a fine line too. And so amidst the chaos of digital asset markets, what do you think are the most exciting areas and sectors and opportunities that are going to emerge over the next few years? So DeFi is something that we hear a lot more from our managers. Uh, For a while, especially after Terra, Luna, it kind of died down and now it's picking up again. You saw that... um, after FTX, the volumes on um, the, the the volumes for uh, Ave and Compound and um, were were just uh, were increased, and then you know Uniswap overtook Coinbase for a while after Binance for for trading Ethereum, uh, and you know there there is a a pure emphasis on people wanting to invest in DeFi and like. The centralized exchange, the concept of a centralized exchange isn't as interesting to people or there's like inherent and, and people are kind of seeing those inherent problems with that. So DeFi will definitely pick up um, self-custody solutions, things like that will be will be important going forward. But there's huge opportunity there. And, and we always say it's not going to be just pure DeFi. There's going to be like a regulatory structure around DeFi where DeFi is able to flourish and it's going to be some sort of hi-fi. So it'll not be traditional finance and it won't be just pure DeFi. It'll be like hybrid finance. That's interesting. Too many acronyms. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's interesting. We're seeing a lot more managers talking about it today. That's, That's the opportunity we see. And then on on mining consolidation, I mean, we talked about it earlier. It's like there's going to be some players that survive, and they're going to be really strong. But yeah, yeah, that's that's where that's where we see um, things going from here. I mean, the recovery is going to be it's going to be a long road, but we'll 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 see another bull run soon. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Rabia. I learned it a ton. This was super helpful. Yeah. Uh, next time we will have a full setup with like. You know, we'll we'll be like facing the camera, right? We'll have a nicer camera microphones. But today that didn't happen. But anyways, this was a great episode. We learned a lot. So where can people find you online? Where they, where can they follow you? Where can they learn more or reach out? Yeah, so our, our website is nural.capital. Um, and you can, you know, reach out over the website, LinkedIn and or Twitter. And, you know, we are always happy to, to chat and uh, tell 
share our insights on this space and what, what's what, what's what's to come. So thank you guys so much. Thank you, Joss. Thank you, Rob. This is awesome. great.